In this episode of Write or Die, we talk about COVID-19, better known as coronavirus. Please note that all of our opinions are our own, although we do encourage everyone to read medical resources as well as official resources from the CDC and the World Health Organization. We do encourage everyone who can to practice safe social distancing. While we know that everyone's jobs do not allow for them to stay at home or work from home, there are some practices that you can do even when you're outside. To help you educate yourself, we will link some resources in the episode notes. Please keep yourself safe and happy and healthy. author of Wicked Fox. And I'm Clarabel Ortega, author of Ghost Squad, and this is Write or Die. Hello. Huh. Hello. <laughs> How are you holding up? I know that things are stressful. Your book is coming out in less than a month. Yes, it is very stressful. It's like whack-a-mole of anxieties right now. <laughs> to be fair, it's not just debut. Like, you're in a very special very very special situation because of what's going on with the world yes absolutely um i think that anyone who has a book coming out right now is probably feeling a lot of this like um just like events being canceled and it's just this like looming anxiety and like i don't even know if i'm gonna have a launch event like i don't know what anything is gonna look like in april you know there's no way for me to know that um so yeah, there's a little bit of anxiety there, but I I sort of went through the I went through the like the emotions of like being really upset about it. But there's nothing I can do other than try to find different avenues to connect with readers and to get the word out about my book and just like keep doing stuff online. And it stinks because it's like it's my first book and I really want to like celebrate it and like have a launch and like have my outfit plan and like do all this fun stuff, but it's not the end of the world and it's not going to be my last book. Um, so I'm just trying to roll with the punches and um, take it one step at a time, you know? Yeah. I, I'm i also trying to, to like, like, I want to be hopeful about like, hey, like I was talking to Lauren Fortgang, a.k.a. the voice of Inej, and <laughs> she's a she's an, <laughs> she's an audio um, actor. And um, and and she was like, well you know, your New Yorkers will be, will emerge from their apartments squinting into the sun and it'll be for your, (laughs) um, after weeks of quarantine and it'll be for your launch. (laughs) And I was like, I actually really like the thought of that. (laughs) Like, like little forest animals coming out after the winter hibernation, like little chipmunks and stuff. (laughs) That's such imagery. And well, I think that it's true that Listen, but first caveat, Clarabel and I do not work for any healthcare organization. We do not work for the CIA, CDC, for the World Health Organization, for any hospitals. I, I did work in, you know, clinical research and public health, but that was years ago. <laughs> However, I do think that there's something to be said with the fact that we need to be vigilant, but we also should not be in full freak out mode. <laughs> I I think that it it is very possible that in three to four weeks that things will be more under control and things can happen again and we can have the big gatherings again. It's possible that it won't happen. So I, you know, but I think that 
you know, after looking at, because I um, I was talking to you about this earlier, Clarabelle, about when was the last time we had a big uh, kind of new health event that was affecting like large populations uh, or a pandemic. And I didn't realize that the last big one of recent memory was actually probably 2009 when H1N1 was really huge. Um, And then before that, maybe 2003 when SARS was really big. And I do think that looking at how people reacted to those two and how they were handled um, internationally and how they resolved themselves, that everything that's happening now with like the quarantines and like don't have huge gatherings actually fits with the methods that were used before in order to get things under control. So I know that it seems like intense, like everyone's being so intense, like whole cities are being quarantined. You're not allowed to have big group gatherings. You have to wash your hands, everything like that. But it actually kind of fits with the models. And, um, and I think that people are being safe. And I think that everyone should be vigilant in the terms of follow the instructions of the CDC, wash your hands. Don't put yourself at risk unnecessarily. Don't take unnecessary trips. Um, but at the same time, don't, don't think the world is over. Don't like go to the grocery store and buy every single canned food item. Right. Um, I don't think that's necessarily needed. Um, I think that the reason for the quarantines, honestly, are less that they don't want people to catch it because people will catch it. It's more that they don't want vulnerable populations to catch it. Yeah. That's more concerning. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And we were saying before also that like you want your neighbors to be able to wash their hands. If you buy all the soap in your supermarket and in your like convenience store, they're not going to be able to. So stop being selfish. Like you do not need like three years worth of hand soap and sanitizer. You don't. <laughs> um, um, I think that like we all need to be sort of coming together and looking out for one another right now and just, um, also really want to like emphasize if you have elderly neighbors that don't have anyone who who regularly visits them or checks on them if you could just check on them like do it for me please um just make sure they're okay that they have like the resources that they know what's going on in the news and that they're not being like fooled by like crazy conspiracy theories online um because they're really susceptible to those things I was telling Kat that my parents are just now getting the hang of things like YouTube and I have to constantly like point out like hey this is um five years old this is not from a reputable source but but still we need to like not freak out as much as possible even when it's scary and to just be there for each other and to come together right now it's like really super needed but yeah it's been a, a whirlwind of uh, two weeks and not in a great way <laughs> not in a great way in yeah in a there's so much stuff happening yeah I feel so bad uh for authors who have had a book out in the last month and are going to have a book out in the next month uh, only because it is true that this is the first time this is happening in in probably 10 years and so in recent memory, we're like, oh, I didn't realize that this is like something that would be done in reaction to a thing like this, even though I do think it is the appropriate reaction. It's still jarring. It's still it's still unfamiliar for a lot of people. And the industry has changed a lot in the, ten year, in the last 10 years, too. Mm-hmm. Like the way we interact with each other, the fact that authors have to do their own self promo now more than ever is a lot. 
So I, I do, I do feel for everybody. And, and I love that there's certain initiatives to kind of do some virtual things. I think that's the beauty actually of our industry is the fact that we can interact on online platforms, which makes it way more accessible. I mean, honestly, anything we're doing now, we should actually look at continuing to do it after this, because then it just makes things way more accessible for people who don't have the money or the physical ability to like leave their house and travel to book events. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it should absolutely open the eyes of publishing that all of these things are possible, not just for events, but for working in offices as well. And that can open up the publishing industry to people who can't afford to live in New York City um, and to help to diversify publishing as well. I hope some if, if one good thing is going to come out of this whole mess, I hope it's that in terms of our industry anyway, um, because it it there is no reason why it shouldn't be accessible. Like every time I go to a book event, I try to stream it because I think everyone should have access to those conversations and to those interactions. And it's really unfair that we keep disabled people and people who can't afford to go to um, events or to travel or to even get into certain buildings sometimes because they don't have access, which is ridiculous. Um, and we keep them away from from these really important things where we're meeting each other and forming bonds and relationships and networking and learning about books and talking about books. It would be so much better if we could all take part in it. And um, it is so super possible to have access to things and to do remote conferences and to um, to provide online access for conferences that are happening um, everywhere. And, and I really hope that that's a big takeaway from, from this whole situation. Cause I think that it would, it's the right thing to do. And it would also just enrich our, our community so much more. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree. And I think that, I think that, you know, we're going to come through this, you know, like I said before, I think that all the international agencies are really banding together. They're doing what they need to do to protect the people Everything like that. I mean, there is a lot of information out there, and of course, there's some mis- misinformation out there. I can't, I can't deny that. But I have a lot of faith that we're going to get through this as a world, <laughs> a world, <laughs> as a world. Um, yes, the world will get through this. Um, and then on the other side, I think you know maybe there, like like Clarabelle was saying, maybe there is some positive we can take out of of any situation. And I do think that also just because obviously we are a podcast for writing and for writers, you know, I I think that yes, events are great in terms of networking and meeting new people and being face to face and seeing the readers that you're writing for and seeing the reason you're writing these books, but events aren't necessarily what sells your book. So it, it seems really, really, really upsetting not to be able to go to events. This isn't true for everyone. I, I know that yeah. for some books that are like really heavy in the school and library um, market, it, it does matter a little bit more. But I also think that there's a there's a very large chunk of people who are going to buy your book because of word of mouth or because they saw someone they liked to tweet about it or someone they liked doing a bookstagram. So there's so much that the community can still do to celebrate your stories and your book and Honestly, you know, we're always here. Clarabelle and I are always here. We're always down for a retweet. We're always down to shout about books that are great and especially books by diverse creators. 
And I've seen so many uh, authors band together. So I think that we'll all be okay. Yeah, it's it's been really encouraging to see how people are supporting each other and how people are coming together online to do all these different things. And bloggers, of course, who are such champions all the time, really stepping up and like reaching out to people. I've had people reach out to me. I've had bigger authors like give me shout outs on like their Instagram and like um, try to boost. And it's just been really nice to see everybody um, helping. And I think really what it is, is there's no one way that you should be trying to get the, the word out for your book out there. The, the more spaces you can be in, whether they be online or in real life, like the better for you, um, like to diversify your audience basically. Um, because anything could happen as we have seen and you don't want to be stuck like with just the one thing that you were counting on falling through. So it's always good to try to, you know, have more than one uh, resource for getting the word out about your book if you can. And I mean, I've always been a huge advocate for social media for authors. And there is a lot of discussion always about social media not really selling books, but like, hey, right now, that's like all a lot of us have. And I think part of the reason why that argument has sort of always rubbed me a little bit, not the wrong way, but like I feel like it's missing a little bit of nuance is because of the stuff we were talking about before with authors who are disabled and authors who live in other countries. Sometimes people are like, oh, this is no good or pre-orders are no good or this is no good. And it's like sometimes it's all some people have, you know, um, so yeah. it, it kind of sucks to dismiss a whole um, category or whole like approach because some people, that's all that they can do. So um, I think we should be more careful about how we frame those arguments in the future and also just like realize that there are so many different ways that things can work out depending on a book and so many different paths. Every, every book is different in my opinion. So, um, but yeah, if you're an author and you're feeling down right now, our hearts are with you guys. I, yeah. I for sure sympathize and understand, but I also think that we're going to totally be okay remember long term not just one book this is a career and mm -hmm. things might work out a certain way for this book um but the next book will be a different situation and you just have to keep looking forward and working on the next thing and it's going to be okay yeah totally 100% and uh, and you know for all of our other listeners not people who people who don't have a book deal yet or people who don't have an agent yet um i have had people who ask me like oh what do you think is happening with the publishing industry right now because of this and I can't tell you on a broad sense what's happening I can tell you that uh, some of my editor and agent friends who work at some of the big houses or some of the agencies are saying that there is more work from home happening but thankfully a lot of the work that they do can happen from home so they don't necessarily anticipate a slowing down of like reading manuscripts or reading queries or reading submissions. Uh, so don't think that this is that, Oh, I'm on, I'm querying right now. I should wait it because now it's the worst time. Don't, don't count yourself out because of that. Everyone is still working. Everyone is still enthusiastic about stories over here in New York. And I, I just think that we should all just focus on the positive and be safe. Absolutely. Agreed. And good to know for yeah. reasons. <laughs> for reasons. <laughs> dot, 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 dot. For Luceli Luna, ghosts are more than just the family business. 
Shortly before Halloween, Lucelli and her best friend Sid cast a spell that accidentally awakens malicious spirits wreaking havoc throughout St. Augustine. Together, they must join forces with Sid's witch grandmother Babette and her tubby tabby chunk to fight the haunting head-on and reverse the curse to save the town and Lucelli's firefly spirit before it's too late. With the family dynamics of Coco, an action-packed adventure of Ghostbusters, Clarabel A. Ortega delivers both a thrillingly spooky and delightfully sweet debut novel with Ghost Squad, coming April 7, 2020 from Scholastic. Pre-order today at buyghostsquad.com. Today's guest is Isabel Ibanez. She was born in Boca Raton, Florida, and is the proud daughter of two Bolivian immigrants. A true word nerd, she received her degree in creative writing and has been a Pitch Wars mentor for three years. Isabel is an avid moviegoer and loves hosting family and friends around the dinner table. She currently lives in Winter Park, Florida with her husband, their adorable dog, and a serious collection of books. Hi, Isabel. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, happy, happy to have you on the show. I'm so excited. Yeah. So excited. <laughs> I, was I was just in Winter Park. You and were wait what? I didn't realize you lived in Winter Park. Honestly, wow. I knew. Cat canceled. Florida. I'm sorry. I should have told you I was going to be there. I was only there for like three days, but three days? Isabel, <laughs> Isabel, do you want me to mute her mic? Because I can. No. <laughs> you were in town for three days. I thought you were going to be like, I only had a layover. I didn't even leave the airport. Wow. All right, so, uh, yes. boop, 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 beep, boop. All right, so, so Isabel, uh, tell us about your publishing journey. When did you start writing? How'd you get your first agent, book deal, all that? Perfect. Okay, so I went to school for creative writing. I have always wanted to be a writer, have loved stories all of my life. I was like, <laughs> I was that sort of interesting person at the movie theater who wasn't really watching the screen. I'd be watching people's faces as they reacted to the story that was being told to them. And I was so like enraptured how stories could elicit different kinds of responses. So I've always loved, I've always just loved that power of story, the power of words. And when I decided <laughs> I wasn't going to do journalism. I actually moved to New York and went to NYU because I thought I'm going to be a journalist and I'm oh. going to work at CNN. Actually, my grandmother thought that. But anyway, <laughs> like everyone was on board for me to be a journalist. And I did not do well in New York. I, I felt super overwhelmed and I didn't love journalism because everyone was telling me to stop writing adverbs and adjectives. And I was putting... <laughs> Like, that was the most common thing that I got from my <laughs> teachers. They're like, Isabel, stop putting so much of yourself into oh, no. like, into your assignments. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually transferred back to Orlando and did creative writing, attempted to get published right out of college. That did not go well. And then I um, have always drawn and, and doodled. And so I decided to go to school for graphic design and I kind of fell into the greeting card industry. And so I was a greeting card designer for a long time. And so I was writing, happy birthday, mom, and trying to figure out a million different ways to say that and drawing cards. And then I um, realized how much I missed writing. And then when my husband and I got married, 
we went to the Caribbean and I came up with this Latina pirate story. And I was so excited. So, so, so excited about it. And I think this is the first time that I actually started to research, okay, what will it take to be published? What will it take to get the story out there? And then I discovered, oh, I need an agent. Well, how does one get an agent? Okay, so in like the depths of the internet black hole, I <laughs> I found out of this um, like contest called Pitch Wars. And so I like a week before everything was due. So I submitted this pirate story and I somehow got in and I worked with my mentor who was absolutely wonderful. And together we worked on this on this book. And then during the showcase, I got like minimal requests for this Latina pirate story. Um, it's fine. I wasn't upset. Not that much anyway. And then I was, um, at that point I had discovered Twitter and was scrolling through Twitter and actually Beth had, was launching this new thing and it was DV pit. Yay, and so we love yes, TV pit. <laughs> yes, the very first one, very first one. Oh yeah. Um, so I crafted um, this pitch, and then I actually found my agent through DV Pet. So we tried to sell the Latina Pirate story. Nobody wanted it. I'm still not upset about it. And then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then pirates are hard. Pirates I know. Randomly though, because pirates were cool and I've never met anyone who doesn't like the idea of pirates true but do you know like do, there was a season though that there were a lot of nautical theme books coming out um like a lot like to kill a kingdom and the sea witch and so uh -huh. every time we submitted this pirate story it was Latina first of all um every time we submitted people always said like editors came back and said oh we have something too similar uh, for for our list and I was like okay so I realized then as more books started coming out that that's what that must have been. But anyway, it was not meant to be. And I'm fine with it because I, I was excited about that story, but it was, it was the, it was like the second book that I ever tried to write and it still felt wrong. I don't think that I, in my bones, I didn't feel like that was the story that was going to be my debut. And so my agent and I, at the time, we talked it over and she's like, why don't you just take a break, think of something else. And so I actually, at the time, um, Woven in Moonlight was born like that idea because politically in Bolivia, things were getting much harder uh, for my family. My brother and I were the only ones who were born in the United States and everyone else is back in Bolivia. Like, my 27 first cousins, Theos, Theos, Abuelitos, Todos, they're all, they're all in Bolivia. Relatable. <laughs> yes, everybody. Um, and they, they were really scared at the time. Um, so I started thinking, and it, it was right around the time of the election as well. And so the election was just crazy. And then what was happening in Bolivia was so scary. And so this idea of a revolution story came to me and um, my cousins were like on the streets protesting, carrying these signs. And I started writing because I felt like I wanted to do something even though I couldn't be there. So Woven and Moonlight sort of became my poster board. It became like this that. banner. I love and... that so much. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. Amazing. Thanks. Thank you. 
I, um, it, it really is the book of my heart. And, you know, you just have a feeling about something, I think, because so much of my heart went into it. Um, and I did, this book is so political because it, it includes events that happened in Bolivia. And I put it into this fantasy world, partly because I wanted to make it, um, I don't know how to describe this, but I wanted not to make it more palpable or accessible, but I wanted to, I wanted to soften it a little bit um, or write about it in a way that wasn't as scary, um, at least for me. It made processing what was going on in Bolivia easier for me if I said it in this make-believe world, uh, still inspired by Bolivia, like very much. But anyway, I wrote Woven in Moonlight in three months, and we went out on submission, and it ended up at Page Street, which I'm so happy about. They were an incredible publishing house to work with for this story. They trusted me so much. Um, so much Spanish went into the book. Um, like, uh, they also, I don't know if this is, I mean, I've been talking about it, but I don't know if it's well known or not, but my editor emailed me and asked me like, Hey, do you know of any Bolivian artist who would like to do the cover? <laughs> I was oh, like my favorite uh, story. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, I am Bolivian and I'm an artist. Can I do it? And so I ended up sending them my portfolio and they loved it and they hired me to do it. So I really had this kind of wonderful experience where I where the publisher really fought for this story, really trusted me, not only with the words, but the appearance of it, trusting me to come up with something so that when it sat on the shelf, it would stand out in some way. So yeah, that was my, that's been my journey. And it's been, it's been a really sweet, kind of exhausting, surprising, but wonderful time. Like all of the emotions, all of it. <laughs> that's what I, I have felt every emotion. But yeah. That's, oh, that's so cool. I love that they had you draw the cover. Honestly, I can't imagine it being anything but what it is. It's so <laughs> striking and distinct, but so fit and so fitting for the story. Like oh, it's one, it was one of my favorite covers of the year last yeah. year. Oh, it's, re wow. it's really beautiful. I, and it's, I feel like it both fits within like the market, like it's not off, but it's also super original. And I really like mm -hmm. that. And yeah. the fact that you did it is just that's so amazing. Like, Queen, hello. Who's doing that? <laughs> Nobody's doing that. You are. Thanks. Thanks. That's really sweet. Thank you. I um, I wanted it to feel... Bolivia has, like, this... It's very colorful. You land, and there's just color everywhere. There's the mountains and all of these trees and greeneries, and it's tropical. And then you have all of these beautiful tapestries that are, like, you can find them on every block. So I wanted it. I wanted it to feel whimsical, and I wanted it to feel very true to that tradition of art in Bolivia. Yeah. Well, you definitely achieved all of that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, also, Street Publishing is a great place. I, I feel like they do such a good job about picking stories that are so unique and so outside of like any kind of like thing that you've seen before in YA but still like very very much fits within the canon of YA which yeah. I love about places like Page Street I think they do it really well Sourcebooks does a good job Candlewick like they're yes. all kind of love pushing the envelope yeah. yeah 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 I really did it was a dream it really was a dream they 
especially for the cover, they gave me no direction. They said, whatever you want to do, we're cool with. That's so and cool. It, cool. It was amazing. No one micromanaged me. No one wanted to see proofs or even drafts. Like, oh, nothing. wow. They just trusted me. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. That's so cool. Well, and you know, nerve wracking, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it all turned out really well, you know, at the end. So it's really yeah, great. Um, for sure. So for, for people who, um, I know you kind of explained a little bit about the inspiration for why you wrote Woven in Moonlight, yeah. but for anyone who hasn't heard of it yet, do you want to just like quickly summarize the plot of the story or not the plot? Yes. But- Yes, totally. So the heart of the story is a revolution story. And it is about a decoy condesa, which is countess for Spanish. Um, And she infiltrates this corrupt government and she sends coded messages back to the rebels through her magical weaving. So uh, (laughs) it's a story about a girl who has never been able to go by her own name. And she kind of carries this revolution on her back in the most dangerous setting possible. Like, especially like embedded with her enemies. Oh, I, I love it. it. So <laughs> I get like yes. thinking about it. I love it. It's just so amazing. And thank and you. I think like also sometimes, because some of the other, you know, people who've been on this podcast have talked about this, like, they wrote a book that they really loved, and they were like, oh, I really wanted to do well, and it didn't do well. And in the next book, they, they couldn't imagine they could write anything they love as much. And somehow the next book was even more personal and even, like, more something. And then that was their debut. And they're like, oh, maybe yeah. it was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> like, the pirate story still, to me, sounds like really cool and I would like as your friend want you to like not give up hope on it but woven in moonlight (laughs) it's so personally connected to you yeah it seems perfect it is it really felt it really felt like my story and that was something you know as I've been in this kind of journey you know like (laughs) I don't know this might be something I'm still kind of processing it but I felt a lot of responsibility um, in young adult, I don't know of any other Bolivian stories out there. And so I definitely felt this, whoa, pressure, because I, in a lot of ways, I, I thought it was an introduction to Bolivia and what was going on and its culture and its food and its rich traditions. I thought, oh, my gosh, people might be experiencing this country and through this lens for the very first time in this type of medium. And I felt a lot of pressure, but I also felt very confident that this was, this was the story. This was my story. It has all of my experience. It has my family's history in it, and it has events that is impacting them right now. So I didn't know, I didn't know who else could tell the story, but I felt very strongly that it had to be me. So everything kind of aligned, and I truly, I, I really felt as I was writing it. I think this is it. I think this is it. I think this is my debut. That's so cool. That's such a good feeling. Um, So can you tell us anything about what you're working on now? Or is it top secret? (laughs) No, I it's not that secret. It's um, so I'm currently in copy edits for the companion novel to Woven in Moonlight. It's called Written in Starlight. Yay! Oh, I love the I love the title so much. (laughs) Thanks. The title. (laughs) Thank you. It um, 
it's uh, I don't want to do like too many spoilers, but it follows the events of Woven in Moonlight by one week. And it centers this character that shows up in Woven in Moonlight. And though they like they have a role in this story, they don't take up a lot of space in it. And so this this companion novel is from their point of view and it takes place in a jungle that is inspired by the Bolivian Amazon. Um, so this, it's like the softest character that you can imagine who does not know how to boil water. And now they have to survive in this jungle. And I've Amazing. had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yes. I've had so much fun with it. I love it. That's like, that's like fish out of water in a way. And I love those stories so much. 18-year-old Goom Myung has a secret. She's a Goomiho, a nine-tailed fox who must devour the energy of men in order to survive. Because so few believe in the old tales anymore, and with so many evil men no one will miss, the modern city of Seoul is the perfect place to hide and hunt. Myung's life is upended when she kills a Dokebi, a murderous goblin, just to save the life of a human boy. But after Myung saves Jihoon's life, the two develop a tenuous friendship that blooms into romance, setting them down a path that will soon force Myung to choose between her immortal life and Jihoon's. Wicked Fox finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and Korean dramas. It's been called a vibrant debut novel that employs the Korean genre's conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly, and fresh and fast-paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox is out now from Penguin Random House and is available wherever books are sold. So, Isabel, you're a fellow um, Musa. Yes. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that and, like, community, especially now with, like, everything going on uh, with coronavirus and us having to not go to as many events or any at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. How's it been being part of, like, Las Musas? And, like, what do you – and you, you've also done, like, DV Pit and you've also done Pitch Wars. So, like, all of these sort of, like, online communities – um, yeah. how do you think that's uh, shaped your um, career and like you as an author and like what would you say to our listeners who are trying to sort of find their own community and their own place in in the writing world oh man I have so much to say I have so many thoughts um, I think that I learned so much by being involved in different communities like Pitch Wars and Las Musas and um, DV Pit, you meet so many different people, you meet them where, when they are at different points in their writing journeys. And I feel like when I started to put myself out there and to branch out, it really helped kind of shape my writing journey. It, for one thing, it made me feel less alone. Um, my, <laughs> it's really funny. I think that I have created you know, this, this type of place in the online community, like within my own little corner, just a, a real sense of camaraderie and friendships. And so many of my friends are in 2D. So it's kind of hard because, you know, you want to see them in face to face, but it is really interesting how friendships have blossomed from, even from, you know, sending tweets back and forth, for example. So I think it's I think it's really important that you find people and and I think the other thing too is that when I was when I was first really starting to to get to know people um, I really found people that were kind of in the same boat as I was like I would meet people who were a little further along like they had agents or this but really I think um, I think 
you shouldn't underestimate like finding someone who is who is your peer and walking that journey um, alongside them. And the thing is, is like, I think um, I have really benefited from being able to vent or to share or to celebrate things as they come with another person uh, because they hold you accountable. So if something were to happen, like a good thing, they, they would be the first person to be like, hey, this is a good thing, celebrate this. Whereas like, I have a tendency to always be like, okay, all right, so I did this. What's the next the next thing that I'm responsible for? What is my next step? What's this? So I feel like having having people who are walking alongside you who know the journey so well and so intimately, it really helped to um, keep us accountable, keep us like rooting each other on. And it's been fun. As you go on, successes come and then suddenly, oh, we're we're so far along when we thought that might, that felt impossible before. So mm-hmm. it's re- it's been really sweet. It's been really really sweet. That's awesome. And I think it's it's also important to have those people around to sort of like remind you also of like yeah. how far you've come because I feel like sometimes we can be so hard on each other, but people who have been there with you from the beginning can be like, "Hey, remember like a year ago when all you wanted was this one thing and now you have it and like you should be proud of yourself for that yeah. even though like right now it might be tough, but just like remember how far you've come." Um yes. And yeah. it can also help you feel less like hopeless because sometimes you're like I'm never gonna get this thing but you always sort of feel like that <laughs> at some point <laughs> it's like oh, I got so through it once though. I'm gonna get it's, through it again <laughs> it's so true it's like it's so true having friends who are directly your peers it's just incredible because I do remember when you first kind of start getting into this world you think how do people know each other and how do people how are people friends with so-and-so and this and this? And how are they getting invited to X, Y, and Z or whatever? And that's how it's done. People just start at the same place and they walk together on that journey. And suddenly you're, you are there where you wanted to be and putting in the time and work and having someone with you. And it could be multiple someones, obviously. It could be like a whole group of people that you, you kind of cling to. But suddenly you you keep going on your journey and you make it and you reach these different, you know, milestones. And then suddenly you're in the middle of it. It really, it, it was, it's been like such a ride. That's so yeah. cool. I'm really happy that your books are out in the world. I think we need so many more Latinx authors to be published. Um and Thank everybody you. better go pick up the 20 prerequisite copies of Woman, Woman and Moonlight. <laughs> Everyone who it's listens, you know, it's the, the write or die law. You either, <laughs> you either get the books or the podcast is not going to reach your headphones next week. That's just how it works. <laughs> we control the threads of the internet well yeah we've we've teamed up with victoria lee who has magic (laughs) tech and they have helped us to somehow infiltrate your speakers so that if you don't buy the books you can't listen to us so just make it happen i really love this tactic i love it (laughs) So yeah. it's, a, it's aggressive, but it's what we this need. Is great, great. <laughs> <laughs> the thing oh. though is that, like, once the magic has been used, like, even if we try to reverse it, it'll never really be the same again. So you just yeah. shouldn't test it. You know, like, just do yeah. what we yeah. tell you. 
it'll yeah. all be fine yeah like yes. just listen yeah. to us just, just how it is gosh <laughs> yeah um <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you know i what one of the things that um feels like weirdly parallel between all three of us actually is like yeah. how involved we were in the writing community before any of us got agents and got book deals oh and, yeah oh yeah yeah yes and so much of it was through the same actual programs because Clarabelle and I were also Pitch Wars mentors, yep. also got our first agents in DV Pit. Um, oh, I didn't, and so, I didn't think I knew that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Mean, okay, so yeah, very similar. We were similar. in the first DV Pit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's um, how me and Kat became friends. Yeah, that's <gasps> how we became best friends. <laughs> I love it. Because we I popped into each other's DMs. You know how it, <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, I know like how I experienced it, but everyone's experience is really different. So I'm just really intrigued to hear like how you feel about coming up and publishing in the time and age of social media and the very public, actually, it's, it's very, you're very much in the public eye because you're pitching in these events. Like, how did that make you feel? How do you think it influenced your experience and how you met people? Yeah. So <laughs> when I attempted to get published the first time, it was back in 2006, seven. So oh, it was wow. a while ago. Yeah. So it was a while ago. And uh, things were very different back then. I remember when I was doing research the first time to get an agent, you, um, what they preferred at that point was an actual printed query and you would send it with uh, an envelope so that they could return it back to you and it had to be stamped. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, guys, I'm like, not that old, but (laughs) it was, it was a different, it was like a whole different ball game. And so this time around it uh, felt like I was learning the rules again. And I actually preferred it this way. There there, I, I know that it's kind of a double-edged sword in some sense, and I'll explain why in a little bit, but there is something really cool about creating systems where so many people can be can have some kind of exposure, people that may fall through the cracks, who don't um, may not have opportunities or have space to reach agents. And so I really do appreciate how we've come up with very creative and innovative ways to get our work out there because it is daunting and it is scary and it can feel super overwhelming, but learning social media and um, interacting with it on a daily, on, in a daily way and made things very like less scary, more approachable. And then of course there is that sense of, okay, well, now that there is social media and we're using these platforms, there is, and I don't know if this exists as much in adult, and I actually would like to know your opinions on this, but in young adult, there is this sense of accessibility to an author or an agent or even an editor or like an expectation of accessibility. And so that has been an interesting boundary to tr- like to try and navigate. Mm-hmm. Do you guys mm-hmm. feel that way at all? Or do you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The short answer is yes. Yes. And my uh, my, my book's not even out yet. And I think that with like every layer of like thing that I do, it gets like both better in that like I'm reaching more people and it's really cool, but also worse in that people feel like they know me. And sometimes that leads to people being overly familiar, which can be 
really uncomfortable. Um, and mm-hmm. it can also lead to people sort of like expecting things from you. Mm-hmm. Um, like responses sometimes when you can't like you reach a certain point on social media where your notifications just don't like they get buried sometimes like that's just how it goes and like you can't possibly respond to everybody if you're on deadline and you're doing things and you're busy and people take that as a sign of like you being um like a snob or being stuck up and and I have this like cat nose I have this like long going like (laughs) sort of like feud just like with myself about this because um I get really sort of indignant about the how much is expected of authors sometimes in terms of like social interaction when really like Mm -hmm. the only thing that you actually owe a reader is your book right like everything else that you do after that is like a bonus and it's it's nice to do and it's nice to to be Mm -hmm. able to interact with them because they're supporting you but the thing that they get in in because they 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 pay money for your book and and you give them your book like that's the the interaction right um yeah but it's become this thing where it's like you not just readers but I think also other authors and writers and um people and bloggers and just people online like if you don't interact with people all the time or do certain things then you can be labeled a certain way um and I didn't always understand why Authors kept their distance, but I definitely understand now. And mm-hmm. there is a lot of people who try to take advantage of you, especially if you're a nice person. And I think that as that happens, you sort of pull back more and more and you have to protect your space because you're only one person. Um, so it can be really tricky. I think it, it, it can be both a blessing because we're able to interact with readers like never before. Yes. And how amazing yes. that the three of us were able to connect with like industry people and like get agents and stuff because of the internet. But then also um, it can become really easy to take advantage of people um, in if, both ways, like both authors and like readers um, have been hurt like because of social media. So it's a tricky, complicated thing but yes yeah yeah I well I also think that taking out any factors of someone who might have negative intentions um whether they know it or not um there's also the fact that we the how we do our work is very self-motivated so the only person who's forcing you to write your book is is yourself on a day-to-day basis and Mm so authors just don't have the time to answer dozens and dozens of queries and and the more well-known an author might be or the more active an author might be on a certain platform the more people might be reaching out to them so however well-intentioned they might be like even giving a very very quick answer to literally everybody who's dming for advice on how to query or get published can be such a time suck um And so it's just like, it becomes a waterfall and it becomes a thing of being like, I'm so sorry if I reply to one person, I'll feel bad that I'm not replying to everyone. So I Mm -hmm. just have to choose how to spend my time wisely. And at the end of the day, my paycheck comes from writing my books. And it's a hard decision to have to make as a professional creative, but it's a decision Mm -hmm. that it it is not come too lightly by anyone that I know who's had to make this decision. Um, so there's that as well. It, it gets to be a lot of time. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. I totally understand so. that. And I also understand like the, the, at least for me, I feel I have a hard time 
not feeling guilty. And I know I shouldn't feel guilty. And I know that I should, I, because there's part of me that's like, man, so many other people would love to be where you are having readers reaching out to you and asking questions about your book and wanting to interact with you. And, um, and so there is this kind of like, oh man, I want to, I want to answer everyone. I want to help everyone. I want to lift up so many people. And then um, it could really quickly turn into, man, that is all that I'm doing. You know, if yeah. you're not careful. Mm-hmm. Authors that I admire and like see what they're doing. And like one person that I'm obsessed with is Lee Bardugo. Everybody knows that I love her so much. Hi, Lee. You're not listening right. to this, but I love you. Anyway, um, <laughs> I see that like Lee is like really good about like being offline and like doing her work and like working on her things. And that's why part of why she's successful is because she's focused and she does what she needs to do um but also she does she'll do amas like on her instagram and like she'll do like you know you can ask her questions and like every once in a while she'll do stuff with readers and i think that there has to be a balance right like you can't always be available um and there's going to be people who are upset when you don't answer them but i think for the most part readers are understanding and they get that we're human beings and like there might be like a like a handful who are being unreasonable but I think that if you if you can um sometimes give like that little bit of yourself to like answer some like reader questions I think that could also be like really fun too like I want to do that stuff you know like I really want to do that stuff but I can't always be doing it because then I don't get to write books (laughs) Oh my gosh, you know what it would be like? It would be like a professor setting office hours. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah. It would, it it could, it's definitely like that. And I, and I think that like for a really long time on Twitter, I actually didn't use Twitter on the weekends. And, and I really liked that because it was like my shut off. Like I didn't look at it. It wasn't. Like, it just was completely out of my my mind, and I got to, like, reset because I think Twitter, especially for me, can be, like, the the place that gets the most toxic. Instagram, not really. Um, But Twitter can be the place where I'll be like, I like the color pink, and somebody would be like, well, you're an asshole. (laughs) I'll be like, oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. (laughs) So, um, <laughs> oh my God. it's so true though. It's true. And, and like the more, the more followers you get, the more, um, random, the more random, like people will come into your mentions, just like getting mad about anything. Like, it's, like I retweeted that, like that Finnick didn't have to die meme the other day. And someone responded, someone responded to it like, yeah, that's why it's called a tragedy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I was like, it's it's just a meme. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's going to be funny. Oh my gosh. Guys, I have had to take, yeah, I've had to take a break from Twitter. It got to be too much, especially around debut time you know because then reviews start getting like flooding everywhere and you get tagged in really good ones but you also get tagged in negative ones and that was hard oh my Mm. gosh yeah so hard yeah I I don't know why people do that (laughs) yes I, I I think we can all agree but I 
I respect and love and appreciate that readers will have very different reactions to the story. Absolutely. But maybe don't tag me in the negative ones. I don't, yeah. I really don't need to know. Yeah. <laughs> really it, don't. Really. And how many times do we have this conversation on Twitter and people always get so pissed off about it and it's like, hey, I can't possibly take the feedback of every single reader and apply it to my work. I'm also a human being and I have feelings and I cry. So <laughs> yes, I am such a crier. Oh my gosh. Same. Do you ever go through do you ever go through this? There is this like especially when you get tagged in negative reviews or you see a negative review because it's like on something that you follow. And so um I always want to and it's I know, I know that you're just not supposed to do this because I know. It's like the the most taboo thing ever. But don't, I think that the, you could waste so much energy too mentally as you have an argument with that review in your head. <laughs> I have yes. literally like, yes. oh yeah, like, like literally like that's even, oh man, I have, especially with Woven and Moonlight coming out and I, this is, this is a whole other topic and we don't even have to go there. But I, I, I like I talked earlier about how I felt this responsibility, you know, in, in writing this own voices Bolivian story and um, some reviews that I've read and how it's um, how I didn't do this or I didn't do this or this. And it just got to be it got in my mind. I was having these arguments like how could I possibly fit all of this in this story when I when the whole goal was to write about my experience? You know, so yeah. you can't, you can't, you, you know can't what? please everyone. Really good point because, oh, sorry. No, 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 you, you no, go, go ahead. No, 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 that's all. I was just no. yelling that one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just was, came here to yell one thing. Um, <laughs> and now I'm out. On, See you later, guys. Put it on a t-shirt, put it in quotes, dash Clara Bella Ortega, sell it on, 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 on giftgirl.com. Um, <laughs> Well, okay. So, but I think that's a really great point that you bring up because as we are all, you know, authors of color who come yes. from underrepresented cultures and as all three of us are talk are writing about our culture in our debut books, yes. there, there is the added pressure of wanting to do right by this thing that means so much to you and so much to your identity and so much to your family and so much to your community and being afraid that you won't. And then, and then reading a review where someone was like, this doesn't read true to me or this wasn't my experience or I don't yes. think that this is realistic or I hated this aspect of it. And then spiraling, like I have read reviews by people who like read my book and were like, I've never seen this happen. And I'm like, but it literally did happen. Like it literally happened to me and, and I do that thing where I'm, I'm just like, well, should I explain to them how it happened to me? And I'm like, no, because a do not reply to reviews. <laughs> right. And, Isn't that hard? <laughs> so hard. And, and even when I'm telling myself like, uh, no, I just like very, I, they asked a question and, and I want to answer it because it's my book. No, no past cat. Horrible idea. Do not do that. Yeah. And the second thing is also what Clarabelle came to yell, which is mm -hmm. that you cannot please everybody. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's really good to remember not just when someone is unhappy, but when someone loves something so much about your book. Because one time 
I saw a review where someone was like, this is my favorite part of this book. I love it so much. I hope we see more of it in book two. And I had just turned in my first draft of book two. And I was like, it's not in there at all. And I was like, oh. should I go back and add that oh. thing that this one person loved and tweeted at me about? Because I, I so stressed out. And, and then I was you like, do. you can't do this. I was like, you can't do this you can't please everybody and and I just had to let it go yeah you can't yes. and I mean I and sometimes like the things that the people who 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 can identify with the book read into it and like the things that they take from it they're so happy and then like you get someone who doesn't get it and like is of a different culture and they slam it like it, you you can't make both things happy and both groups happy all the time and like I didn't I purposely didn't want to write Ghost Squad for like the white gays right I wanted to just mm -hmm. be like unapologetically Dominican but then what I get is up uh, too much Spanish up uh, uh this is all right but it's Scooby-Doo with a Mexican twist which is one thing that I got and it was great um oh, so so people just sort of like assign their judgments to the book when they and they don't like give it a chance because they see it as another culture and like it's racism like welcome to racism welcome to the u.s of a like that's how shit yeah. goes sometimes and it sucks but i i much rather get those comments than to not write the authentic story that i really want to write and then when a dominican kid reads my book and they're like holy crap I've never experienced something like this before and I love it so much that means way more and um it's just unfortunate that like readers who aren't who aren't used to not being centered in a story can't handle it <laughs> um it is, it, that is so hard and it is that's really good to remember because I have really been struggling with letting letting stuff like that go and because on some level, I guess what I guess what really hurts is that maybe the subtext that I'm hearing is your experience isn't right or your experience isn't as valuable. So and that's really hard, you know, like when they have some kind of opinion or opposition to something and this is true and this is my life and this is this is what I've experienced, what my family has experienced and all of this. Like, I can't, I can't write it any clearer, you, you know? And so, um, when, when a review like that comes across, like you should have written it a different way. It makes me feel like, man, then did it not matter what I went through? You know? So it did matter. It's just that reviewers forget two things. A lot of times I think first that you're getting, input from you know hundreds sometimes thousands of people um and everyone's mm -hmm. gonna have a different opinion people who get upset sure. about you not wanting to read bad reviews don't understand that like they are not the authority on like writing and your book and they want you to listen to them but it's like how can I possibly listen to all of these people it's impossible right. um and um the other thing well shoot I lost my train of thought and it was good too. Oh, no. It was great. No. no. Well, just so everyone knows, you'll never hear this thought, but it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> no, I have to remember it. Give me a second. And you'll always wonder what it was too. <laughs> no, no. Um, it's going to come up after we leave. Yeah. I'll be like, like and after. another thing. That's what always happens to me. Annabelle, if you remember it later, record it and 
send it on your own and send it to me, uh, and I'll just like edit it in right now. Yeah, um, just <laughs> give me one second. Oh, perfect. Because we were talking about, um, we were talking about reviews, and not everybody mm-hmm. is able to give you their. Oh, son of a bitch! I'm I'm, <laughs> well, I'm made I, of sadness. I have a thing that I do, which is. And I don't know know if this will work for everyone, but sometimes, like, to just give yourself perspective, there are some really hilarious one-star reviews of things Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. just, like, kind of make you laugh because sometimes people just review things to review them. They don't actually think it through. Mm-hmm. And my favorite one-star review is of the movie Happy Feet. Have you seen that movie? <gasps> yes. The one with the penguins. Yes. And someone reviews it, and it's one star, and it's just one sentence, and it just says, penguins don't dance. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> and I screenshot it, and I saved it in my computer because it's the best. And it's just this person was so upset that he's like, penguins don't dance in real life. Like, this is unrealistic. Amazing. I had to go on Amazon and one star it. And I'm just like, okay, okay. Right. Yeah, definitely reading those, those reviews really good are good. It's like, a really good example. I like reading yeah. the reviews of the uh, Kylie and um, Kendall Jenner. Pair, uh, what was it? Their series that was called like, it had the most ridiculous name, but they wrote a YA series. Those reviews what? are they golden. Mm-hmm. Oh, they yes. did right away. It was like a dystopian. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! <laughs> did not know that. What was it? There's also really, that. there's really funny one-star reviews of *To Kill a Mockingbird*, and and I don't feel bad about these one-star reviews. <laughs> it's not hurting <laughs> *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Um, my favorite one on that one is that um, someone really hated that it had that the the edition they had had deckled edges. Do you know what those are? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. I worked in the paper industry. Yep. Yeah. Like, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like when they don't square off the edges of the book so it looks kind of, like, ripped and very natural looking. Awesome. Um, Someone just, like, was so mad and was just like, I, this isn't even, they said, it might be unfair to, like, one star this book because, like, I haven't read it yet. And, but like the the rigid the rigid edges like look horrible. It looks terrible. It looks unfinished. I'm so disappointed <laughs> in this book. And it's like they were so mad, and they had to one star it. And I was just like, oh man, okay. <laughs> Thanks for your hot take. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the Kendall and uh, Kylie book is called Rebels: colon, City of Endra: colon, The Story of Lex and Livia. That's book one. Amazing. So perfect YA title. We yes. should all move to that. That to that. that to the format. double colon. The double colon yes. format. I love it. Um, I think I remember what I was gonna say, but now I'm not confident about it. Did I oh already gosh, say? Wow. Okay, okay. Did I'm I already? Place. Did I already this say that place. readers forget that we're human beings? Did I say that part? Yeah. Yeah, you did say that. Part. God damn it! Okay. <laughs> well, that was Stop one thing. Cannibalizing yourself, Clarabelle. I want to remember. It was good because also I'm trying to help Isabel here because I don't want her to beat herself up over reviews, and it's just not worth it. You know, it's not. There's a pressure yeah. that comes with being one of the first or one of the only. Mm-hmm 
representations of your, of yes, your culture 100%. and people have been waiting so long to be represented mm-hmm. there there is a downside to that and people don't talk about it a lot which because it's sad to think about but like I think it happened a lot with crazy rich Asians where mm. people were like I like I don't care if like Henry Golding's only half Asian like I don't care blah blah, blah. please still go see it in in the theaters because some people were really upset about certain ways that Asians were represented in that movie. But yeah. it's because when you only have one, of course it's not going to cover everything that people need. Right. And it's hard, right. To, it's hard to criticize that one thing from within your own community because you don't you don't have anything else to pull from. And it sucks. That sucks. Like, it is. It's the worst. It is. It is. It is really, really hard. Thankfully, I mean, so far, the... Uh, I've had people who are Bolivian who have read it and have loved it. And so that's been really uplifting. That has been, you know what it is though? It's, I, you know, I of course felt nervous, of course, because there is that pressure, but more than, I mean, all of it has been, I have never read a Bolivian character before. It's awesome. They're just so excited that it exists at all. And that's like, that's that's what's awesome that these are the people these are the people that I was writing for and I mean not just them for you know I want a lot of people to enjoy this story because it's important you should read with from a different lens and from a different culture but for them for Bolivians who have reached out to me they're like I can't believe this exists at all I can't believe this is the main character has my name I cannot believe that I've never seen that before you know so Absolutely. It's, it's really tough. And it's, it's bananas because there are so many, um, you know, Latinos in this country. And yet it's like, the representation is just like, mm, super minimal. And, um, and it's just wild and it's unfair. And, um, it's so important that you're around and that you are helping to change that. So you definitely have to take care of your mental health and just stop looking at those, um, at those reviews, even, you know, if it's tempting, just, like, don't do it. Because if it's going to hurt you, the, the important thing is that you keep writing and that you stick around. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah. And mm. the reviews, the, ba- the bad reviews are always going to be there. And it's just not worth reading them. Um, yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of mm. reviewers who, who offer so much insight and who are avid readers and who really give good feedback, but there are a lot of people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about either. And how are you supposed to know who's who? Yeah. There's just, there's just no way that, that you can possibly sift through all of that. So, um, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to yell at you next time I hear that you are, uh, reading bad reviews. I, no, I got off Twitter. I got off Twitter. I don't check Goodreads and I'm just on Instagram. And the ones that I get tagged on on Instagram, like I, it's, you, have you ever done this before? <laughs> have you like seen the picture and it looks beautiful and you just double tap and then you read the caption and it's, oh, this is, oh, oh, oh no. Oh no. I just liked this really bad review. Um, so it's I, I have. On <laughs> yes. Isn't it like, oh no. I have. I, I'm do? more careful now. But it's <laughs> it is weird. And you know, honestly, I don't know. I guess like thanks for talking about my book at all. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. Um, yeah, but it's it's awkward. It's awkward. Um, I haven't experienced it yet, but 
Um, I'm sure I will. I I hope it doesn't happen to you. It will. It happens to everybody. I know. Uh, I know. I'm trying to, to be everybody. optimistic. It's whatever. You know. Listen, it's, it's if, whatever. There, if there's one thing that has prepared me for this, it's being a reporter. I've had people slam a physical door in my face. I'm going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right. <laughs> um, okay. So, Isabel, everyone who is on yeah. the show either tells us their most embarrassing publishing-related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. You can do either or. Both, it's up to you. Okay, so embarrassing for sure would have to be when I was querying and I addressed this whole query letter to the wrong person. Oh, um, no. And I felt so bad. And But they were actually really gracious and they wrote back and said, hey, so I'm still going to read your query, but just wanted to let you know this is addressed to Michelle and I'm Steven. So I was like, okay, I'm so sorry. Wow. And I hadn't even realized that I'd done it until they had emailed me. And so that was, yeah, that was Uh, very embarrassing. I think that's happened to most people. They've messed up somehow (laughs) with the query letter. Yeah. I know. I just, I'm such a planner. I am like, I plan and I read over things. And even so, I still miss it. But that, you know, whatever. Um, and then as for something that I wish I would have known, I think that um, I'm really, really thankful for DV Pit. And I had found my agent through DV Pit and I'm with another agent now. But one of the uh, pieces of advice that I had gotten was when you're querying, it only takes one yes and to query as many people as you can. And so prior to DV Pit, I had, I queried, I queried like, 90 people and I wish that I had never heard that advice I got 89 rejections and rejections are part of the game like that is something prepare yourself this is part of it but I think the advice that I would say now especially if you're querying um it's better to not have an agent than to have um an agent who just doesn't know what they're doing or anything like that. So I would say like, man, I would do your research and find the people that you would genuinely want to work with and not to query blind. And so I'm so thankful that I went through DV pit because I think I got matched up for the, with the right person at the time. But prior to that, I was like just writing so many query letters and sending out so many things when I didn't have to do that. I didn't, I wish I had done and prepared a little bit better. I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. It's really good advice because it's hard advice to give, but it's a reality of such a subjective industry. So it's really great Mm -hmm. that you're saying stuff like that. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. Isabel, um, thank you so much for being on Write or Die. Can you tell everyone where they can find you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Instagram. Um, my handle is, uh, you know, the at thing, and it's IsabelWriter09. Um, and then you could also find me at IsabelIbanez.com. Perfect. Thank you so much again for being on the show. Um, we'll have all of the links to your yeah. book in the show notes. And everybody, go buy the prerequisite 20 copies right now. Go. 
Money <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Red or Die. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a review, and while you're at it, be sure to pick up Wicked Fox by me, Kat Cho, and Ghost Squad by Clarabel A. Ortega. See you next time, Wordies. And don't forget to spread the word. 